Thank you, Brian. Also, thank you, Hal, for sharing your testimony. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Genesis one more time as we conclude our series on Abraham. Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to be in 1 through 9 in our grow groups today. You're going to be in verses 1 through 67. But I'm just going to focus on the first nine verses. I thought about preaching 1 through 67, and I thought, goodness, by the time I get through reading that, it'll be time to go. So I'm just going to focus on verses 1 through 9 today. I sincerely hope that you have been blessed by the Word of God. I hope that as you have considered Abraham's story, that it has ministered to your heart as it has mine. One of the things that I love about Abraham's story, and it's really what we get to look at and enjoy today one more time, is that we get to see his progression of trust over time. We get to see Abram as a younger adult, so to speak, older, younger adult, whatever you want to call it, say, well, he was 75 years old. Yeah, but he lived to 175. So, I mean, it's, we'll call it a younger, older adult. But... We get to see him progress as a follower of God. We get to see him in his highs and his lows. And we've talked about that week after week. And here really is the last big story about Abraham before he goes to be with the Lord. Now, one of the things is that you need to understand is that Abraham's story actually never ends. Because... The New Testament and the Old Testament call us all children of Abraham. You know the song, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons said, Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. Just let's praise the Lord. The Abraham story doesn't end because the Abraham story is the story of redemption for the whole Bible. It is Abraham is being chosen so that his family might bless the whole world. And from Abraham, the Lord Jesus comes. And as a son of Abraham, Jesus comes not only to redeem Abraham's family, but to also redeem all of creation. So even though Abraham is fading off the pages in his life, so to speak, the person of Abraham and his legacy lives on. And not only that, Abraham is not gone. Because remember, it was Jesus who said that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And Abraham is still very much alive even to this day. But as we look at this last story, I want to talk to you today about trusted, tried, and true faith. Trusted, tried, and true faith. We have seen Abraham in so many different situations of faith through this study. And our main statement is this, is that you are leaving a mark of faith and it will be the guidepost for those to come. You are leaving a mark of faith and it will be the guidepost for those to come. I want to read to you Genesis chapter 24 and verses 1 through 9. It says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. 
that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. There's so much for us to learn here. There's so much for us to learn about faith, confidence in who God is, prayers and promises. But again, you are leaving a mark of faith and it will be a guidepost for those to come. Now let me help you make sense of a few of these things that are taking place in the scripture before we take some application today. Abraham as an old man is now making sure that his inheritance, his name, his household is secured by making sure his son has a wife. This is a means of securing his future, especially in ancient times. Also, this oath that takes place, this whole hand under the thigh business, that sounds really strange to us. Like, for instance, we may think if we're making a deal or a commitment together, we shake hands and look someone in the eye. Or, for instance, we put our hand on the Bible if we go to court and swear to tell the truth. What is this whole hand on the thigh business? Well, Biblical commentators suggest that the best way to understand this is I want you to think about I'm not going to demonstrate this for you. I'm not going to call anybody up on stage and say, hey, can we just reenact this? But I want you to imagine, I'm going to use this chair here. I'm Abraham. And you're going to come and you're going to put your hand under my thigh. How close are we going to be to each other? He's going to be right here. And where is his hand going to be? His hand is going to be right down there. Now, let's just talk for just a second about what this is, and I'm not trying to be crass. But what is in that region of the body? That region of the body is where God placed how we reproduce. In ancient times, this idea of putting a hand under the thigh would have been 
for the servant to place his hand around or close to, if not on, Abraham's reproductive organ and swearing to him that he would not default on his promises. Now you say, gosh, thank God for contracts today. I mean, (laughs) by the way, this was not just Jewish culture. This was Roman culture too. In fact, if you know the name, I'm not going to call it out loud in church, but if you know the name of the male reproductive organs, we get our word testimony from that word. To give testimony is to, in the ancient world, swear on one's progeny. This is what Abraham is in effect doing, because I don't want you to miss this, because I don't want you to think that, gosh, this is so strange and crass. No, I want you to understand what Abraham is saying. By asking the servant to put his hand there, he is saying to the servant, I want you to swear on my grandchildren and my children. This is what it's a symbol of. Now, I want you to understand how many grandchildren and children did Abraham have at this point? Just one. Isaac, the child of promise. And here is what Abraham is making the servant do. I'm going to make you swear on grandchildren that will only exist if God honors his promises. This is a massive leap of faith. This is a man who is fully confident that God is going to give him descendants. Now we may say, gosh, in 21st century America, like when you go and sign your mortgage, you know, you don't have to do this kind of ritual anymore. But in the ancient world, this man would have been riding from Abraham and Abraham would have said, okay, put your hand there. All right, son, swear it. As if to say, if you don't do this, God's going to get you because you are swearing on my future. I want you to see that this is the confidence that Abraham had in God's promises. First, I want you to see this together in our outline. Acting in faith leads to faithfulness. Acting in faith leads to faithfulness. As we look at Abraham's story and consider his life, the first step that he took in Genesis chapter 12 was to go to an unknown place. Now we know that there's highs and lows that Abraham experiences. But I want to take you back to a few weeks ago when we talked about the message of the tamarisk tree. The tamarisk tree is not a symbol of what Abraham had done for God, but rather it symbolized what God had done for Abraham. And this is the overwhelming message of the Bible. It is God's kindness which leads us to repentance. Why is God so kind to Abraham? In fact, I know you've had these questions because I have had people in our church ask me, why is God blessing Abraham after Abraham conned Pharaoh? Why is God blessing Abraham after Abraham conned Abimelech why is God blessing Abraham when they seemingly went outside of God's will to come up with a child with Hagar and then why is God blessing Abraham when he's allowing this drama to take place in his household and there to be 
dissension and abuse take place from Sarah to Hagar? Why is God blessing Abraham? Why would God do that? And do you know why we ask those questions? It's because we have a direct line of connection from if you're being blessed, it's because you're being good. And the Bible just doesn't teach that. Of course God blesses obedience. But God is kind. And the biblical story tells us that God even blesses disobedient people. And you know why He does that? You know why He does it for you and for me and for Abraham? It's because God's kindness, when you know you're receiving it and you don't deserve it, it cracks that hard heart of a wayward man and a wayward woman. It's Romans 2.4 that says this, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul is giving this in the context in writings, Romans, of talking about people who are just kind of doing their own thing and seemingly get away with it. Getting away with it. Paul is saying, listen, yeah, you're, you're getting away with it for the moment, not because you're getting away with it. It's God is not punishing you because He's showing you mercy and grace because He's trying to draw you to Himself that you might repent and turn from your sins and trust Him. God's kindness is always this word to us in order to draw us into Himself. God's kindness leads us to repentance. So as you have evaluated Abraham's life and thought... Why is God blessing Abraham after all the crooked things that Abraham has done? It's because God's kindness leads to repentance. And I want you to see, it works. Because the man of faith Abraham becomes, shows and proves that when God blesses us when we don't deserve it, it draws us in. But also, not only God's kindness leads us to repentance, that's what we've learned from this story, looking at the life of Abraham, but also God's love compels us to obey. These are just some general thoughts. We're going to get specifically into this text in just a second. But God's love compels us to obey. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he who died for all that those who might no longer that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised yes god is kind but it is his kindness which not only draws us in when we see all that god has done for us it compels us to obey and see this is seeing God's kindness in Abraham's life in all of these portions of his story, but also seeing a compelling of Abraham desiring to please God and wanting to be a part of God's promises. And then also, God's blessing leads us to be a blessing. As we think about Abraham's life in general, this is what Abraham was told in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. God says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, 
And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, acting in faith leads to faithfulness. Abraham has acted in faith. God's kindness has drawn him to repentance. God's love has compelled him to obey. And God's blessing on his life has made him be a blessing to others. You see, Abraham is not the same man in Genesis 24 that he was in Genesis 12. God has worked on Abraham and made him into the father of the faith that we know and celebrate today. Principle number two, not only does acting in faith lead to faithfulness, I want to look specifically at this story, which is this, is that grace and faith change us. Grace and faith change us. Grace is what God does for us. Faith is our response to what God does for us. If you look down in this story, we can see several things. First, a life of faith grows concern. It grows concern. Look down in verse number two. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. You know, we are all born pretty selfish people. Looking out for number one is our default mode and it's how we survive but a life experiencing the grace of God and responding in faith to the grace of God has generated and transformed Abraham a selfish man just like you and me into a man with concern he is now not just concerned for his life but he's concerned about Isaac He's concerned about what is to come. It's amazing how as grace works on us and we respond in faith, we become less us-minded and more other-minded. Not only do a life, does a life of faith grow concern, but also a life of faith gains conviction. A life of faith gains conviction. Two verses I want you to look at again. Look at verse 3. Notice he says at the end of that verse, he says that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Look down in verse number six. Abraham repeats it again. And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. And if you go down in the this, this story, he is making clear, you do not take Isaac home. So not only do grace and faith change us by making us less selfish, grace and faith change us by giving us conviction. Now, I want you to understand the man that is saying this. Because notice the servant says, well, if I can't find a wife for him, should I just take Isaac from the promised land back to the kindred? Abraham says, absolutely not. Now, I want you to know that this is the same Abraham that in Genesis 12, as soon as he got to the promised land, 
he left and went to Egypt. What's been the difference? The grace of God in his life and his response of faith as it has changed him and has given him conviction. Abraham becomes passionate for the things of God. I know one thing just in my own life in trusting and following Jesus, the older I get, the more I want to please God and just do what he asks. Because the more I live, the more I see that's really what life is meant to be anyway. But all that I've considered that God has done for me, I can feel in my heart over time conviction growing that I want to live a life pleasing to him. We see this in Abraham. It's true of Abraham. It's true of you. It's true of me that a life of faith grows concern. A life of faith grows conviction. But also a life of faith gives confidence. It gives confidence. Verses 7 and 8. Notice what it says here. We've already looked at it. But it says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. Notice that this life of faith has grown Abraham concerned for those beyond himself. He's grown conviction to do things that please God. And now he has grown confidence that God is going to come through as God has promised. We're not going to be in Exodus after this. But it is an amazing parallel to look at the life of Abraham and compare it to the story of the Exodus. And the big thing that the children of Israel struggled with when they got into the wilderness is they were separating their present moment. Please don't miss what I'm saying. They were separating the trouble in the present moment from all of the troubles that God had already brought them through. And all the many times God in his faithfulness had brought them through every single time and they looked at only in the moment and said lord you brought us out here to die it was better for us back in egypt this has not been abraham's story abraham has faced problem after problem he's faced an unknown land he's faced a famine he has faced barrenness childlessness he's faced drama in his household he has faced also dealing with having to be separated from Hagar his wife and Ishmael his son he's dealt dealt with people living around him who were um dangerous to him we didn't look at that part of the story that was when Abraham had to do battle with the king with the kings of Sodom and others that's Genesis 14 but, but still, Abraham has had this long story of how God has come through every single time. And here, in Abraham's old age, he is saying to his servant, it's going to be just fine. God is going to come through. 
God is going to send his angel. Had God told Abraham that? I don't think so, because Abraham kind of makes it clear if he doesn't come through, you're free from the oath. Why is Abraham so confident that God is going to come through? Because God has already come through all those many times before. And friend, Christian maturity is taking the present problem and making sure you connect it to all of God's faithfulness all before this moment. And this is what Abraham does when he says, the God who called me, the God who blessed me, the God who told me I'd have this land and my offspring would have this land, he will send his angel before. You see, this next principle, not only does grace and faith change us, but confidence in faith is not presumption, it's peace. You can say, well, maybe it's easy for Abraham to trust the trouble in the moment because, you know, he was a prophet and he, he had this direct line to God. Actually, there's really no indication here. Look down in verse number 8. Notice Abraham makes clear he doesn't know the future, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. I love that. He's still not compromising his conviction regardless of how God chooses to answer this petition. But notice, confidence in faith is not presumption. Abraham doesn't know the future. Abraham knows the past. And the past has given Abraham peace. When Abraham looks at his past, he sees how God has worked and moved. And because of that, he tells his servant, it's going to be okay. God will send his angel. You've heard me say as we've gone through this project, The Mark of Faith, and we've talked about not just the actual project itself, but how are we going to be able to pay for it and things like that. You've heard me say this, and I'll say it again. I don't know the exact story of what it's going to look like when all of this stuff gets done, but I know it'll be good to tell because we already have a story to tell from all that God has done up to this point. And this is how we must live life in faith as a church and as Christian people. Don't separate the present moment from all of the blessings that God has done in the past. We want to be like Abraham to be able to say, listen, it's going to be okay. God is going to provide. I'm going to talk about two senior saints. One of them, some of you may know, um, some of you may know this gentleman. But before I talk about him, I want to talk about somebody you don't know. Um, she's now with the Lord. I was a pastor in South Mississippi, and there was a lady by the name of Dot Terry. Uh, Miss Dot was the oldest lady in our church. She was 96 years old. And she and her husband lived at home, and uh, they had a really, really nice place there not far from where I lived. And it was a frequent visit of mine. And I remember facing one troubled thing one day. I can't remember exactly what it was now. And that, that's the way troubles are, isn't it? You can't even remember what it was. I don't know if it was something at church. I don't know if it was something going on in just personal life with parenting or figuring out. I don't know. But I remember sitting down at her home and she said, something's bothering you today, preacher. Preacher. 
I said, well, yeah. She said, well, go ahead. And, uh, you, can, you can tell me. She said, let me pray for you. Um, she said, I ain't got nothing else to do. I said, um, okay. So I remember sharing with her what was going on, and she prayed for me. And I remember she looked at me, and she said, you look at me, young man. I'm 96 years old. You don't sweat this. You know, there's a reason God gives us senior saints. Because we can look at them and be told, listen, I've seen a lot of more years than you, and not one of them has God let me down. We need to hear that. Confidence and faith is not presumption. It's peace. Then the final thing is this. The surest sign of true faith in old age is setting up the next generation to experience God. I love what Abraham's doing here. Abraham, in his closing moments, is still believing the promises from all those years ago. To say, listen, you make sure this comes to pass in the next generation. You know what? There comes a time in all of our lives when life stops giving and it starts taking. We all know this to be true. I'm not trying to be morbid. You know this to be true. There comes a time in all of our lives when life starts giving and it starts taking. And I want you, each of you, whether you're young or old today, to remember Abraham. And I want to encourage you, don't allow bitterness to control you in old age, but be compelled by blessing. And in doing so, you will bless other people. The other senior citizen, senior adult that I want to tell you about today, you know this one, he's with the Lord now, a man who had been a member of First Baptist Church since 1954. His name was Merle Clonch. Worked at Tupelo Hardware for 60 plus years. I know some of you know Brother Merle. We miss him. Merle sat right there, right where Steve is sitting, right there under that speaker. And he sat there for as long as I've been here and much longer than that. Do you know, um, you may not know this, but my knees shake from time to time when I have to talk to y'all. Um, not so much in preaching, but when it comes to making decisions that are going to affect the life of the church, I get nervous. And probably the service where my knees rattled the most was in 2017. Our church had been doing three worship services and two Sunday schools. And even though God did great things through that, it was just became apparent that that was not the, the best fit for where we were as a church. And we needed to move to two services and two Sunday school, two services and one Sunday school or one grow group hour. And so that meant that one of our services would have to go away. And of those, we had two traditional services and one contemporary service, and the contemporary service is in the middle. 
And the contemporary service was our largest service. We certainly didn't need to cancel the, um, the largest service. But then the uh, 8.30, uh, you don't want to cancel that because people who are willing to come to church at 8.30, you don't ever want to discourage that, right? <laughs> um, so it made sense after prayer and talking to church leadership that we needed to move the contemporary service to the 11 o'clock worship service hour. But that means we were going to have to no longer have a traditional worship service at 11. And there had been a traditional worship service at 11 since before just about anybody here in this room was born. And I was scared to death because I was looking out and at that time most of our senior saints attended that 11 o'clock service. Oh gosh, I love them all. And I knew I was asking them to do a hard thing. And I asked them, I remember, I said it this way, folks, I'm not asking you to like it. I don't even know if I like it. I'm just asking you to trust me and give it a chance. After the service, Merle came up and he found me. Merle and I were friends, but I knew he had something on his mind. And he said, Brother Matt, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. He said, uh, back this summer, he said, I was sitting in my rocking chair on my back porch, and he said, God spoke to me, which prompted me to say, well, Merle, what did he say? He said, Merle, I will not have you be bitter and uncooperative in your old age. I said, really? He said, yep, that was it. I said, oh, okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. He said, well, God spoke to me again. <laughs> and I said, okay. well, Merle, what did he say? And he said, well, he actually spoke to me today in church. He said, when I was looking at that young face of yours, tell me that I could not come to the service that I've attended since 1954 and sit in the place where I've sat for the last so many years. I said, oh. I said, well, what did he say? He said, well, he said, I felt myself getting angry at you. And he said, and then God spoke and said, now, Merle, we've talked about this. And that was it. And he said, Brother Matt, I want you to know, I don't like it, but I'm on board. When I think of that, I'll never forget Merle Conch. Friends, use the gift of age to encourage faith in the next generation. You know how Abraham rides off into the sunset? He makes sure the next generation is saddled up and ready to go before he leaves. I pray you and I that in light of all that God has done for us as we consider his faithfulness, as we consider the faithfulness of Christ through all of these times, that we would allow his work to continue in our hearts to make us people of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus.
Lord, it is truly his faithfulness that matters most. And Lord, I pray that as we've considered the life of Abraham all these weeks together, Lord, will you help us not separate the moment that we're facing from all of the hundreds and thousands of moments of your faithfulness to us that came before this one. Lord, can you help us be people that grow into senior saints rested in confidence and peace? God, help me to grow into Abraham. Lord, help me to grow into Miss Dot. Help me to grow into Brother Merle. So that, Lord, when my short rows come and my time comes towards its close, I'm encouraging the generation that comes behind me. Lord, I bless you. Lord, I bless them and thank you for them. Lord, will you bless First Baptist Church? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.